So we're actually starting a new series this morning. We've been jumping around quite a bit over the last few months. Back in Lent, we were talking about what it is to live the fully alive life of Jesus, this abundant life we've been promised and offered. Throughout the season of Easter, then, we talked about the resurrection and what that means for our actual lives. And as we spoke of those things, we sort of jumped around in the Bible quite a lot. So for our next series, from now through the end of summer, we're going to take one prolonged look at a single book of the Bible. We're going to look at Colossians together. And I'm excited to look at Colossians because it's a book that brings us back to the heart of everything, Jesus. Colossians invites us to believe and to more and more deeply understand that all things are held together in Jesus, that all things were created through him and for him, and we'll come to see that the more we believe and understand this central fact, the more we'll see it connecting to everything in our lives. So I'm excited to spend our time together in this book throughout the summer. As we get ready, though, to open it for the first time, I want to invite you to take a moment to do whatever you need to, to ready your heart, to ready your mind, to ready your body, to be able to listen well. Don't just let these words float by you, but posture yourself to hear them as the word of God for you this morning. So let's listen together. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and our brother Timothy, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We've done this since we heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people. You have this faith and love because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You previously heard about this hope through the true message, the good news which has come to you. This message has been bearing fruit and growing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace as it's been growing and bearing fruit in the whole world. You learned it through Epaphras, the fellow servant whom we love, Christ's faithful minister for your sake. He told us of your love in the Spirit. Because of this, since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you and asking that God would fill you with all the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We're praying this, so that you can live lives worthy of the Lord and pleasing to God in every way by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, by being strengthened through his glorious might that you may endure everything and have patience, and by giving thanks in joy to the Father. He made it so that we could take part in the inheritance in light granted to God's holy people, he rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. He set us free through his Son 
and forgave our sins. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. As Paul opens this letter to the church in Colossae, to the people called the Colossians, he begins exactly as you'd expect him to. The format of the letters back in Paul's day are different from ours. We put from at the end. They put from at the beginning. But he's following the rhythm of any letter you would read from this period. It says who the letter's from, who the letter's to, gives a basic greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and then gives thanksgiving. This is the opening of any letter in the day before getting on to the heart and body of the message. But just because it follows the pattern, don't be tempted to skip over it to get to the meat of what Paul has to tell us later. There is much to learn even here just in these opening verses. Though Paul begins the letter in the same way he begins others, this letter is different from Paul's other letters. Most of the other letters Paul wrote were written to churches he'd helped to start. He'd planted them. He knew the people very well and spent time with them. He had an investment in their future. The letters that weren't written to those churches were written to churches Paul would soon visit. Romans, for instance. He'd never been to Rome but planned to go and wrote this letter to introduce himself so that they'd know him when he did finally arrive. But Colossians is different. See, Paul had never been to Colossae. Paul would never make it to Colossae. And as far as we know, Paul never even planned to go to Colossae. See, it was just a small town in the vicinity of some other major cities, and Paul used his time strategically to start churches in urban centers, hoping the gospel would spread from them out into the surrounding countryside. Colossae was actually destroyed by an earthquake in 62 AD and never rebuilt because it was just a small town that was unimportant. It still hasn't been excavated and explored by archaeologists because, again, not that important of a place. And yet, Paul hears about a small church in this small town, and he's so overwhelmed with gratitude for what God is doing in this place he's never been that he decides to write this letter in order to encourage them along in order to exhort them to continue to dive deeper into Christ and to live more and more faithfully. This opening is primarily an opportunity to give thanks. And so Paul gives thanks that the message of the gospel has been growing and bearing fruit. Paul writes to them to say that the true message is indeed growing and bearing fruit among them, and so there's reason to rejoice I don't know about you, but when you heard those first verses here, were you a little confused at all by what Paul was trying to get to? In Greek, it's actually just one sentence, verses 3 through 8. Um, Paul's letters are notoriously difficult to understand, and one of my favorite things I discovered in the Bible was a verse in 2 Peter where Peter sort of complains that Paul's letters are so difficult to understand. I love that that's even in the Bible. So I spent a lot of time with this sorting trying to understand more deeply what's going on. And it seems like the heart of what Paul is giving thanks for is this true message that's bearing fruit and growing. So what is the true message, the good news that Paul says is spreading throughout the world? Well, the first time Paul speaks of it, he seems to speak of it as the source of our hope. 
He says, you have this faith and love in the present because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. And you previously heard about this hope through the true message, the good news which has come to you. This message has to do with the hope we have, hope reserved in heaven, hope in a future that's breaking into our present and allowing us to live now with faith and with love. He speaks of it later when he says that God made it so we could take part in the inheritance in light reserved for God's people. This is a letter written to a bunch of Gentiles like us, and it's a miracle of God's grace that we have been adopted into the family of Israel. We who had no stake in God's promises or God's inheritance have been adopted in as children, as we'll celebrate here in baptism, a sign of our adoption into God's family. We have now been made inheritors of all that is God. There's a hope now reserved for us in the future that Christ himself will return and make all things well and make us new. There's a hope in the future that's part of this true message that allows us to live faithfully in the present. But as Paul continues on, he also seems to speak of this true message as synonymous with grace, rooted in what God's already done in the past. He said, you first heard this true message, and it's been bearing fruit and growing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Hearing the message and understanding God's grace are connected and he speaks of this grace, too, when he gets to the end, saying that God rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his Son. He set us free through the Son and forgave our sins, all in the past tense. All this God has already done for us by grace and grace alone, due to nothing we've done to earn it, due to nothing we will do to have deserved it or to pay God back for it. Freely, God has done all this for us already. And because of this grace that lies behind us and the hope that lies ahead of us, we're able to live now in the present faithfully. This is the true message. This is the good news. But what I found really interesting digging into this letter this week is that Paul says this message grows and bears fruit, not just when you hear it, but when you come to truly understand God's grace. On Friday night, I was here, I was actually sitting right there, as we watched as one of the high schoolers from our church, Drew Cochran, had his Eagle Scout Court of Honor and achieved the rank of Eagle Scout, something only 2% of Boy Scouts ever do. And he accomplished it this Friday night, and we were gathered here with friends and family and his fellow scouts to celebrate all that he had done and all the hard work that went into it. And as a part of that ceremony, they were here and they told a story about John Wayne. John Wayne was connected to scouting, and one of his last final public appearances was actually at a scouting event because they were dedicating a camp in his honor. And at the event, he said that the scout law, which is something scouts learn very early on, it's, it's 12 characteristics or virtues that they hope to instill within these young men. He says the scout law is often memorized so young that scouts never truly learn it. That they memorize it when they're so young that they never truly learn it. And they went on to give his deeper uh, teaching about what the scout law really meant and what each piece of it truly, how it is to be lived out. Paul, too, calls us deeper in 
Because truly understanding the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of God's grace in Jesus Christ is a life-altering thing. Our Heidelberg Catechism says that true faith is knowing all this stuff Jesus has done for you, but also trusting that it's true for me. Trusting that it's not just true generally, but true of me too. Truly understanding God's grace, coming to grips with our own brokenness and need, with the undeserved gift that is inexhaustible. This is the key to the gospel bearing fruit and growing in our lives. Which is why Paul goes on to pray that these Colossians would grow in the knowledge of God's will with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Because God's grace is an ever-deepening spiral. The first time around, you can pretty well articulate the gospel. That Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Or 1 John 3.16, so famous. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is that simple. Christ died for us while we're still sinners by grace alone. By the time we're about three, we can articulate that. But the journey shouldn't end there. Paul's inviting us to continue to go around and around and drill deeper and deeper into our understanding of God's grace in us. And it takes a lifetime to truly plumb the depths of God's grace, of the gospel. We can stay up here on the surface with a Sunday school version of the gospel, but Paul doesn't want us to remain there. Paul prays we would dive more deeply in, that we'd continue to come deeper and deeper into our understanding of grace. See, after Sunday school, you probably won't learn a whole lot of new and novel things about what it means to be a Christian. But as you come again and again to those same stories, to those same ideas and those same verses, We come to deeper and deeper understandings of God's grace as it works itself out in our lives. Paul doesn't want the Colossians, and I don't want us to have just this surface understanding of grace. I want us to dive ever more deeply in to truly understand all that God has given us, that this message might grow and bear fruit in us, that we might live lives worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way, as Paul writes. This is why, for instance, we practice confession every week, that we come to God every Sunday and seek God's renewal in prayer, why we admit we are not God that we are not perfect, that we do not have it all together, that we have fallen short. Some people don't like that we do this every week. They think, why drag ourselves through the mud every Sunday? We're basically good people. We're trying anyway. Who wants to carve out time on a Sunday morning with so much else to do to come here and just be told we're rotten sinners? Well, I do. And not because I need one more reason to beat myself up and belittle myself, but because the purpose of confessing this sin isn't to dwell in brokenness, but that by naming it and turning from it, we may understand again just how deep 
and wide and amazing the grace of God is. The purpose is to rejoice. And to rejoice because even though every single part of our lives and who we are is touched by sin, even though we, ha- we are so deeply in need, more deeply than we'd ever imagined, even still, he made it so that you could take part in the inheritance, in light for God's holy people. He rescued us out of the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. He set us free through the Son and forgave our sins. The more deeply we understand God's grace, it's because we more deeply understand our brokenness and our bondage to sin and darkness. As we name our brokenness and sin together, we give thanks that it was already taken care of before we even knew it existed. And rejoicing over that abundant grace, realizing the incredible hope that's been given to us already, though we don't deserve it all, truly understanding what Jesus has done and will do for the world around us, this is how we grow and bear fruit. This is what empowers us to live in faith and love, to endure everything and have patience to give thanks in joy to the Father. This is what opens us up to lives that are worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way. Truly understanding the gospel, the grace and hope of Jesus Christ. In just a minute, we're going to come to the baptismal font to seal this grace and hope into the lives of Aurora and Georgia. To tell them this true message, this good news that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That though they know nothing of it yet, it's for them that Christ came into the world, lived and died and rose again. Each of us who've gone through the waters of baptism have had these same promises spoken over us. We've gone around the gospel that first time. It's my prayer this morning, though, that we won't just stop having gone around once, or even twice, or even three times but that we would continue to be filled with all the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that we might plumb the depths of God's grace together and coming to truly understand it and its power in our lives and the world, having seen our hope reserved in heaven, that we may come to see these things and so be empowered to live in the present lives that are worthy of the Lord pleasing to him in every way. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.